Uh, uh, hi everyone. <laughs> How many of you feel the Holy Spirit excitement that I'm feeling right now? <laughs> There's a kind of Holy Spirit excitement that just descended upon me at this moment. <laughs> I believe it's because of the fire that the Spirit of God is about to unleash this night. <laughs> I don't have the words yet. I don't have the words, but I've received a whiff of the wind. And it's so exciting. How many of you feel this excitement of, of, of God? <laughs> Confidence is not a threat. <laughs> We're expectant. <laughs> We're expectant for God to just do what he does. Whenever we just come together in his name, it is always a blessed experience to just come together and just learn about our heavenly father. Learn about his son, Jesus the Christ, and learn about one another. It is written that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your might, and all your understanding, and love your neighbor as yourself. So yes, it's all about Jesus, but it's also all about us. In the kingdom of God, every single point is the center. Every single point is the point. And we have all gathered here together for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ and for the sake of ourselves. And the moment we just sit in this moment in divine expectation, Books start to open in the heavens. And the words that are ready for us this very evening begin to download. Just begin to download. Whenever the children of God congregate in faith of an encounter with God, there is no how he won't show up. And here we are at this sacred time, congregated together in order to learn more about Jesus, the Christ. So before we just begin to move forward into today's exposition, and uh, like I said, I don't know what God is going to talk about. I intentionally kept my mind blank today, like intentionally, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to taint the message that God is going to give, you know, and I make it a deliberate thing to always emphasize how Every one of these sessions are directed by the Holy Spirit because it's also a kind of training for everyone here as well. You know, because in this time and age, there's too much of performance, especially in the kingdom of God, where people stick, they'll spend three, four, five days, you know, planning out their sermon, making sure the punchlines are there, all the hooks and crooks, putting specific points for people to, to be excited and putting specific points when they'll bring them down, putting specific points where to add a joke and all these things and all these things. And even though there is some kind of value in that, and even though there's a reason behind all that, but when there's too much of that kind of arrangement, we find out that it's so easy for the spirit of God to be pushed out of the window. Because the scripts are too much. So many scripts already prepared and pre-planned. 
that when the wild force of the Holy Spirit comes in, there is no space at all, you know. So in a time where God is raising us to be spontaneous, spontaneous, and not spontaneity in the sense that one is reckless or, hard or, or haphazard, but spontaneity in the sense that we're ever ready. We maintain a hard posture of perpetual readiness. That if the spirit of the Lord descends at this point, we're ready to move. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying, people? Do you understand? Perpetual readiness for the move of the spirit whenever, however, he wishes to move. So that's what we're doing in this time. That's what we're always going to do. Perpetual readiness. And I'm right now reminded of that passage in the Bible when, I don't know if it was Stephen that was being spoken to, but I think it was in the book of Acts, when they told them, don't worry about what you say. Don't worry. When you get there, the words will be provided to you. Someone can pose that scripture for those who might want to know what scripture that is. You know, Don't pre-plan any words. It's Luke, the book of Luke. If you can post that for me, I'll get you. When you get there, the words will be provided to you. And it's been exactly, well, about nine plus years since God revealed that scripture to me in, 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 in the spirit. And ever since then, I have lived by that. And it's, it's, it has never, God has never disappointed once. Not once. There's never been a point where he say, go and sit and teach and speak. And I'll meet you there. And he didn't show up. There are times in my shop, 30 minutes in. <laughs> And those first 30 minutes, I'll first be speaking a lot of English, like I'm doing now, waiting for the download. <laughs> or not really, but you get my point. <laughs> you know, waiting for the download to come. And when it comes, it becomes very clear. I can be sitting here and I literally just see an angel descend into the room with a scroll. And as he opens it, I'm going to read literal words there, but a wind enters and words just start to form immediately you know so it's something we have to be ready to do wait for the wind of the holy spirit i've seen some ministers who just come on the pulpit and they will just start to cry some cannot stand there and just be quiet and if the spirit of god does not say anything they will not say anything because they are not there in their own strength they are there in the strength of the spirit of god so this is what we're doing and this is what we're always going to continue to do, you know. So before we just jump right into today's affair, I'll try to keep tonight's session within good time so that we don't get mentally exhausted. I know after like an hour and a half, two hours, a lot of us get very tired and, oh my God, I want to sleep and all that. So tonight we'll try and keep it within time, keep it in timely fashion as long as God gives us the grace. So before we just jump right into, into today's meat of the matter, who can give me a recap of last week's um, discussion? I'd like to see two hands. What did you learn from last week? One thing that you picked from last week's discussion. I'd like to see two, three hands before we just jump right in. I'd like a recap. One thing that you learned from last week's session. Confidence, please go ahead. I'm looking for two more people. Go ahead, confidence. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Uh, so I, I was 
kind of in the session, but not in the session. So I actually listened to the podcast much later. Mm. And I listened to the both of them in a row. Like I listened to like six plus hours of just listening to both of them. And I was wow. amazed. Wow. I was like, and I think that was why I didn't want to be, even though I was, you know, on the call, but I was distracted. So like, you know what? I'm just not going to listen until I'm sure I can concentrate, concentrate on what you were saying. And um, there was a time when you were explaining, if I, you were not even explaining about um, faith, but you were giving an example about something entirely different where you talked about this, um, um, about this um, um, Mark Zuckerberg with Facebook and how when he started, you understand that he couldn't really see no, rather, it was the vision was more real to him, or the idea was more real to him than it was to other people, than the tangibility of it. But as he started to work on that thing that was real to him, it became, you know, the money that he didn't have, you know, the reach he didn't have, everything became reality. And, you know, immediately, faith, that scripture you were talking about, about faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, just opened up to me mm. faith is actually an action word you know yes. like we're always talking about the human language and how it's about action about activity it's not static it's moving and yes. you know it just dawned on me that faith is not some you know fairy tale you build up in your head and you're hoping faith is not something as hope it is actually love in action there's a scripture that even talks about it that faith is love is expressed in fact faith is expressed through love something like that and so i said to see that every time the scriptures were talking about god, or god tells us to have faith he's not saying just lie down and just you know think that everything's going to happen magically he's telling you to put your money where your mouth is you know he's exactly. telling you to bank on that thing that you have professed and i could now see it playing out with abraham and so when i was listening to it my brain was just going round and round <laughs> i literally went to my paper later and i was like no i'm just gonna jot this down if i knew it two pages were full i was like oh wow. my god this is so cool you know so that part of the entire session there were so many things in the session but that part really really stuck to me about faith being a verb faith being an action word faith being something that moves and you know relating it with the spirit of christ and movement and you just start seeing how whenever you say oh i have faith oh i i i just i just know i just it's not about it, i just the the words start to make more sense to me they're no longer just words that i know as far okay i know the meaning of the word faith they are beginning to mix with blood in me and i'm seeing that when i when my mouth says i have faith my hands my brain my mind my body has to follow suit and act yeah. in accordance to the instructions that have been given so yeah that was what i got and i was really amazed awesome that's amazing confidence that's so good that's so good thank you for sharing that absolutely faith faith is action there is no action. There is no faith without action. There can be action without faith. It is possible to act without faith, but it's not possible to have faith and not act. Maybe you can quote that. That's a nice quote. Well, yeah, that's, a, that's actually a nice quote. You can, it's possible to act without faith, but it's not possible to have faith without acting. Wow. It sounded better the first time. Don't mind me, please. <laughs> well, you guys get the point. <laughs> When Jesus Christ was on the boat, when he was on the boat and the boat was, and there was a mighty storm, 
there was a mighty storm and it looked as, as if the boat was about to capsize and the disciples were screaming for their, their lives. That act that they did, that act of being afraid, of being worried, of waking up their master from sleep, made Jesus Christ to say, oh, ye of little faith. Because the acts that they carried out evidenced the kind or the amount of faith that they had. Also, when the centurion said to Jesus, I'm a man of authority and so are you. All, I, all you need to do is just give a word and your messenger shall go. And my, my servant to be healed. And Jesus Christ said, in all of Israel, I have never seen a faith like this. Because faith is always activity. Faith is always action. Thank you for that confidence. Thank you for that confidence. I need two more people. One thing that stood out to you last session. Confidence was not even in the last session. She was on the podcast. So, so let me start calling people's names right now. So I need two hands. I need two hands. I need two hands. Before I start calling people. Aha, uh-huh, rejoice. Thank God you're reporting yourself because I was going to call you. Okay, go ahead, rejoice. Uh, hello, everybody. Hello. So what stood out for me was the part where you said, um, salvation is a journey, like a process to become. That is, it doesn't just happen one day and you stop there. You have to, like, the moment you confess with your mouth and say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ, you begin a new journey. Then also the part where, like, you spoke about bondage, that if you don't know what bondage is, we won't know salvation. And I feel like a lot of Christians, they like to miss out on understanding bondages. It's right for me because, you know, you see something negative, so you don't want to go near it. So, like, you just push it out and just embrace the aspect of salvation. But, like, that session made me, like, see the negative sides of myself to see that, ah, there's, like, so many things that are just wrong and accept that, okay, it is there. And when you, and at the point you begin to accept, you now ask the Lord for help. Lord, help me. These are my weaknesses. And another thing was when you spoke of an action, an action starting a pattern and your actions, the actions that you carry out on a day-to-day make you realize what you're in bondage. That was the way you said it. You said an action starts a pattern and your actions... Like, I don't know if um, the actions I carry out on a day-to-day basis makes you to realize your bondages. And at that point, I was like, wow. Because I decided to like, analyze every single thing that I do every day. Because when I started to like, watch my actions, I began to see the path of bondage. I have. Yes. And I was like, oh, God, I need help. <laughs> I need help. So can't just stop at the point of just you know i call it the born again thing you can say it more than one time when i i used to go out every time as a kid when they say come and give your life to christ so you can't just stop there you have to like go on and so yeah that's what i learned awesome 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 and to give um so when i talked about um 
um, I talked about every action begins a pattern. That is everything you do, just like when you drop a stone in water, a ripple effect is formed, right? So also every action you make is like a stone that you drop in the waters of your mind that begin a particular pattern. So the moment you start to say thank you, that action of saying thank you begins a pattern. And the more you say thank you, the more that pattern is reinforced in your mind, in your being, and the more you continue to do it. So also, if you are rude and you have the, you, you have the tendency to be rude to people, every time you say something rude, that action creates a pattern that is enforced the more you do it over and over and over again. And yes, you know, the actions we do on a day-to-day basis show us what we are in bondage to. I want to talk about bondage. Bondage is not always a negative thing because no matter what, no matter what, the only way, and you can quote this as well, the only way you can be truly free is when you bind yourself to something willingly. The only way you can be truly free is when you bind yourself to something willingly. In this life, there is nothing like absolute freedom in the sense that you're not bound to anything. Even God is bound to his words. Even God is bound to loving you. Right? So the greatest slave, the greatest servant in the entire universe is who, people? Who is the greatest slave in the entire universe? Yes, it's God. It is God. God is the greatest slave that exists. And oftentimes when we hear the word slave, we're like, how can you call God a slave? It's because we're only familiar with slavery that is absent of choice. No, slavery that is void of choice. That is when you are forced to do something out of your will. And that's when we hear slavery, we just look at it as a negative word because we think about it as, oh my God, my will is being taken away from me. But just Christ said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I will pick it up again. Do you understand? The only way to save your life is to lose it for his sake. But the one who holds on to the life will end up losing it. The only way you can truly save your life is by letting go of it. (laughs) And the only way you can truly be free is letting go of your freedom willingly. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? And that's why Paul came and said, I, Paul, a slave of Christ. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, when we see the word servant, the word servant in Hebrew is evet is Eved. And the word Eved literally means, well, it has multiple dimensions of meaning. It means servant. It means slave. It means to worship. It means service. And there's one more. This is a a five-dimensional word. Like we always say, the English language is not as rich as the Hebrew language. So there's some Hebrew words that the only way you can understand it is by using five English, English words to properly translate it because that's how vast it is in meaning. 
So for example, in the book of Exodus, Moses said to Pharaoh, let the children of Israel go that they may enter into the wilderness and worship the Lord. The same word that was used to call them slaves in Egypt was the same word that was used to talk about what they were going to do in the wilderness for God. Evet. You see? And in the Old Testament, there was a time when Moses passed the law that after a slave has served you, after a, say, a slave has served you for six years, on the seventh year, you have to set him free. But if it happens to be that you try to set your slave free, and he says, oh my goodness, I've had such a wonderful master. Why on earth will I want to be free from such a person? He said, such a slave must take a nail and nail their ear to the doorpost of their master. And the moment they nail their ear to the doorpost of their master, they are declaring that, yes, I'm a slave in this house, but I'm a slave by choice. I saw the goodness of this master and I said to myself, I will never leave him. I am bound with him till I die. Now, that is what the Bible called a bond slave, one who became a slave by choice. They saw the goodness of the master and they said to themselves, I will never leave your house. I die here. <laughs> who can interpret that when it says that they nailed their ear to the door? What does it mean to nail their ear to the door? Who can tell me? Who can tell me? To nail their ear to the door. Who wants to go? I can see some people don't say, Adrian, I won't call you because I've, I've, I've said this to you before, so you want to come and do cheat code. Anyway, Uri, to Uri, I, I've taught this thing to you guys like two years ago. So I know that you yeah, yeah, want to, uh, okay. Anyway, Uri, go ahead. Uri, go ahead. Okay, yeah, are you not ready? Okay, Idris, go ahead. Idris is my, my little sister, guys, so she has, there's a lot of stuff that, anyway, go ahead. Let me tell Idris, I can't hear you. Guys, is it just me? Can you hear Idris or is it just me? It's not just you. Oh. Israel, there's something wrong with your sound, huh? We can't hear you. Uh, maybe she's having the same issue. Maybe you have to unplug from your earphones, then your voice will be clear because I can't hear you. Okay, Uri can't unmute. Sigh, that's so sad. Okay. Okay, so I'm just going to read from what I see in the chat box. I already said, submit to always listen to the master. Very lovely. Yusuf said, always heeding to the door. Who is Christ? Beautiful. He says, I am the door. How does that scripture go? He said, I am the door. No one goes unto the Father except through me. Right? Is that the scripture? I am the door. No one gets to the Father except through me. Yes, Dan, you're also correct. My sheep hear my voice. Exactly. Exactly. So, so that, that passage talks about that passage in Old Testament talks about the slave, the servant that nails their ear 
to the door to Christ, saying that they will live their lives perpetually, listening to him. And that's why it's written that faith comes by what? Faith comes by what? Hearing. Hmm? Hearing the word of Hearing. Exactly. Faith comes by hearing. And you see how that beautiful, that simple scripture in the book of Exodus is already painting a very beautiful thing. So you can see that everything that Paul was saying in the New Testament didn't just come from space, you see. But if one hasn't familiarized themselves with the Old Testament, you know, and the things that were taught there, you know, there can be full appreciation for a lot of things that Paul said. You know, for example, Jesus Christ was on the cross and he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, when I hear that, and one might immediately think, oh my God, he was abandoned on the cross. What's going to happen to him? But if you're familiar with your Bible, you realize that the book of Psalms chapter 22 literally begins by David saying, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that chapter speaks about David saying, God, why have you forsaken me? And God letting him know that he will not be forsaken. So in Jesus Christ saying that, he wasn't saying I've been forsaken. He was saying that even though it looks like I've been forsaken, my God will rescue me. Does that make sense? Now, anyone who knew their Bible, the moment he said that, they will understand what he was saying. Because on the outside, it looked like he was forsaken. But in reality, he was not. Now, anyone who knows Psalms 22, once they hear him quote those first words, they already know exactly what he's talking about. I'm sure a number of us are running to Psalm 22 right now. How many of us are also running to Psalm 22 right now? How many of us are running there to see it for the first time? <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. And that's how, and that's how in the New Testament, you know, there are a lot of things that are just said in passing, but the depth of it can't be grasped if one hasn't actually gotten some. Well, Foundational understanding of the things that are taught in the Old Testament. You know. So being a slave is what I've done. And I'm not saying this as, a, as an extension to what Rejoice started talking about. You know. How at every given time, every action you carry out reveals something you're bonded to. And it applies for good and for bad. If someone offends you, and you find that your first instinct is to try to make peace or even to try to understand another person's standpoint or their point of view, that in itself is revealing what you listen to, what you subject yourself to. On the flip side, if your first instinct is to begin to quarrel and abuse and things of the sort, that also reveals what you're bound to. But at any given time, every human being must be in bondage to something. Every human being must live its life in service to something. It is not possible to exist without serving. Service is the basis of nature. And I love that scripture. I think it was Oye that posted it, that Jesus Christ said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. So everything that he asks us to do and to be is a reflection of everything that he already is everything that he already is. And that's why I talk a lot about, even though it's still a beautiful song, but you see, new education has to arise as well. This song about 
Because it's all about you, Jesus. It's a beautiful song, and it's true. It's all about Jesus. But that's one half of the coin, right? Because if it's all about Jesus, and this Jesus that is all about completely traded his life for our sake, that tells us that two people are on that table, true or false? True or false, people? True. Indeed, true. Everything that he is, is everything that we are also called to be. Everything without exception. Without exception. So even God himself is a servant. And the entirety of his life is a life of service unto his children that he created. And we, in turn, reflect the same thing that he does to us. So now we begin this week's session and this week's teaching on this series of the Christ. First of all, let me ask, how many of us have actually been enjoying this series? How many of us have actually, how many of us have had an experience where this series caused us to cause life changes in our daily life? How many of us have experienced life changes as a result of these teachings in this series? How many of us? Indeed. 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 Because how is it possible that, how, how is it possible that we talk about Christ and that doesn't end up leading us to us, leading to some kind of transformation happening within ourselves? Because you can't ever separate Christ from the church. You can't separate the husband from the bride. So there's no how you can talk about the husband without talking about the bride. It's a package, you know. And the more that we become more aware and conscious of who Christ is, who he is in us, and what the role and the role that he has come to play, the more we also become more mindful about our own selves and how we can also be an extension of that life that he has. So last week, we talked about the name Yeshua. And we expanded a bit on it. And we talked about how the name Yeshua means my God is salvation or God is salvation. And it doesn't just talk about a person that existed historically. It talks about the role that person, that spirit fulfills in the life of anyone who calls upon his name. Because first and foremost, like we said all through, that Christ is a spirit. Christ is spirit that becomes flesh. But first and foremost, the Christ is spirit and can only be known and recognized in spirit. Just Christ said, who do they say that I am? He said, some say that you are Elijah. Some say that you are Jeremiah. Some say that you are the prophet. He said, who do you say that I am? And behold, Peter said unto him, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, except my father who is in heaven. Because by his outward appearance, it is not possible to cognize him as the Christ. It has to be a realization that happens within you 
This is what I will call insight to insight. From your inner sight, you see what is inside of him because he can never be seen on the outside. And like we said also in the last session, that the Bible begins to open up to you, not by how much of Bible that you have read, but how much of the spirit you have been exposed to. Because when you're exposed to the, to, to the spirit of God, in that spirit that you know is expressed in John chapter 3, verse 6, the moment you, you read John chapter 3, verse 6, even though you've not read it before, because you have come in contact with the spirit that materialized as that verse, you just find out that you just understand what's being said. True or false? Who can testify of this happening to them before? Who can testify of this? That you read a passage for the first time. You haven't read it before, but for some reason, you understand it. And you might even say, my goodness, I've been looking for this scripture all my life. Where have you been? And you're like, whoa! I don't know I've had the Holy Ghost scream where you just find one scripture that just confirms something that God was telling you about that you were doubting. And you're like, oh my God! You know? <laughs> you're like, damn! See, that excitement is so important that you just see one scripture and you just have to jump from your chair and just start running and... <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, if you haven't had that excitement, anyway, let me not. Uh... <laughs> that Holy Ghost excitement is so important for learning. Don't ever feel bad about it. Don't let anyone ever shame you for it. That excitement is so important. It's so important because it opens your heart to want to receive more. You know? When you're just screaming, saying, my God, my God, what a revelation. You see? And for you to feel like that, for you to read a scripture and be like, my God, this is what I've been looking for all along, is because you have come to know it in spirit. Because when you know something in spirit, it doesn't matter how, whatever flesh it might take, because you know it in spirit, you will always be able to discern it. Always. And like I wrote in the last study guide, the Pharisees who did not recognize Jesus the Christ, who condemned him to death, did so because they did not know the spirit. They did not know the spirit. John the Baptist, at one glance at this man, he said, behold the Lamb of God that comes to take the sins away from the world. This is not sight, physical. It's a deeper sight. It's an inner sight. Because physically speaking, Isaiah said there was nothing comely about his appearance that one should love him. Meaning that he was not even that good looking. His appearance wasn't comely, wasn't attractive. He was from Galilee. Galilee is a miserable city. Well, I'm not put it like that, but you get my point. Galilee was not, Galilee was not in New York, right? Galilee was like, <laughs> when I say miserable, I don't mean it in a very bad way, but I know you get what I'm trying to say. Dan, how can you say Galilee is like mainland? That's so rude. Guys, please, I wish there was a smiley to just point a finger at Dan. What does it mean by mainland? How can you say that? Well, that's so rude, Dan. Please apologize. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's not call it any place because, you know, we don't want to, um, you know, offend anyone. But you get my point. 
Galilee was not a, it wasn't a Paris, it wasn't a New York, it wasn't a Dubai. It was like a trashy place, right? It was a trashy, it, it was a trashy place. You know, it was, it was a trashy place. It was in Nazareth, you know? And that's why Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You know, because like that place, that place that is famous for producing scoundrels and, you know, arm robbers and tax collectors, you know? You know? But yet, John the Baptist looked at him at one glance and saw him in spirit. How did that happen? The same spirit that was at work in Jesus Christ, moving in him, moving him, was the same spirit that existed in him, John. It is written that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Even before he was born physically in this, in, into the world, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So he grew up in deep koinonia with the Spirit of God, deep, deep intimacy, deep knowing, so much so that he, he will recognize his father anywhere. Anywhere. It doesn't matter what jacket you put on, he will recognize his father anywhere. You know? And that's why a long time ago I thought about how, you know, even though, okay, the Holy Spirit not told me not to go in that direction. So, so, John the Baptist looked and the spirit that he already knew within himself was the basis by which he could, he could recognize that spirit in someone else. It is not possible to discern the spirit of God in another person, if you haven't discerned the spirit of God in your own self, if you haven't known the spirit of God in your own self, because it is one spirit, but that one spirit can put on different jackets and manifest in different places at different times. And that's what Jesus Christ was teaching, I believe in, whether Matthew chapter six, I can't remember, but he was teaching. And as he was teaching, it was said that his mother came and said to them, go and tell him that his mother and brothers are here. Now, you see, when she made that statement, she was addressing his physicality. She was addressing the outward man that she gave birth to, the outward man that she was a mother of. But she didn't realize that it was not that outward man that was speaking. It wasn't that outward man that was teaching those people. It wasn't that outward man that was sitting upon that rock, bringing out messages of deliverance. It was an ancient spirit that had tabernacled inside of that man. And the moment that ancient spirit heard her say that, that tell him that his mother and brothers are here, he said in return to her, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? They are right here. For anyone who does the will of my father is my mother and my brother. And in that moment, it might sound as if, my goodness, what kind of rude child is this? He just disowned his mother. But we must understand, at that point in time, something else was speaking. A spirit that was older than his flesh, that was older than Mary, that was older than the entirety of Israel. A spirit that had 
tabernacled inside of him. In modern days, we call this the spirit of the Christ. In Hebrew, we call it Mashiach. Now, in modern times, learning about Jesus Christ and the things that we've been taught, how many of us up until this point have believed that Christ is Jesus' last name? How many of us have believed that up until this point? How many of us have believed Christ to be Jesus' last name? That his first name is Jesus and his last name is Christ. I'm sure a whole number of us, even I too, once upon a time, believe that because normally when you hear a person with two names, you believe the first name is their first name and the second name is their last name or surname, right? But his last name is not Christ. Christ is a title. Christ is a title. The word Christ is from the Hebrew word Mashiach. And the word Mashiach means the anointed one. Or if we expand it a bit, the one who has had oil poured on their head, that is Mashiach. Mashiach, let me write it down on the chat. Mashiach. Mashiach. The word Mashiach means the anointed one. The anointed one. Or one who has oil poured on their head. The Mashiach. And the word Mashiach is from the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means to smear. Which means to smear. Like the way they smear anointing oil on someone. So from the word Mashiach, we have Mashiach. That is the one who oil has been smeared upon. Who oil has been smeared upon. And understand, we're still in this subject of talking about the spirit of the Christ, which was also resident in the man Jesus of Galilee, and trying to have deeper understanding into the message he actually came to bring to humanity. Because up until this point, humanity has looked at Jesus as a standard that it is impossible, a standard that is impossible for, an, for the common man to attain. We look at him and say, is he not Jesus? And whenever we use that word, is he not Jesus? That's almost like, uh, I can't do that because I'm not Jesus. How many of us have used that phrase in order to escape doing something difficult? Say, am I Jesus? Or how many of us have thought that once upon a time? Am I Jesus? Or is he not Jesus? <laughs> Lol, why is laughing? <laughs> a great deal of us must have done that for sure, for sure. <laughs> and this is as a result of you know, this is as a result of over, what's the word I want to use? When you make something more divine than it is. If you make Jesus Christ so divine that his humanity is out of the picture, then we have missed the point entirely. Because the whole point of who he is and what he came to do for us was because of his humanity, period. The moment his humanity is removed from the equation, he ceases 
to become a high priest for us. Because it is written that a high priest is removed out of the congregation. What is who can bring that scripture from? I think it's in Hebrews. Let me see if I can find it. It's in Hebrews. Aha. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. I'm just going to post it on, on the chat box here. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. And it says, For every high priest taken from among men, from among men, in things pertaining, is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for their sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. So this was Paul trying to talk about Jesus Christ being, being, the, being the perfect high priest who was taken from amongst us and tried not things, even though he sinned not. But there's a point that had to be emphasized, the point of his humanity, which gives us the gateway to becoming everything that he is. And I remember right now, Usain Bolt. I can't remember what, when he broke the record in 2008, I can't remember what was his um, 100 meters speed. I think it was 9 point something seconds. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Was it 9 point something seconds or 7 point something seconds that he broke? He broke, yeah, 2009. But what was his speed that he broke? Aha, uh -huh, 9.58, right? Aha. Uh -huh. But before that time, no one was getting anywhere close to that. But the moment Usain Bolt broke that record of 9.58, what happened after that, I'm asking? What happened after that? Who can tell me? What happened after that? Once he broke the record of 9.5, exactly, people started breaking through. Everyone started breaking it. Everyone, people started breaking it like no man's business. Something that was always impossible before, the moment one man did it, it opened the gate for other people to see that this was possible for them as well. And that is the essence of, of the message Jesus Christ came to bring to the world. What is actually possible for every human being? What is possible for every human being? You see? Now we're talking about the Mashiach, the anointing that comes upon him. And many times you have spoken about how in the Old Testament, physical things were used to represent spiritual things. Natural things were used to represent things that are supernatural. And if you just read the Old Testament from a physical standpoint, it's very easy to miss out on a lot of things that are being communicated. And that's why when the time where we hear a lot of people say things like, um, in the Old Testament, there wasn't Christ. Christ is a New Testament thing. You know, Christ, there was no Christ in the Old Testament. Christ started coming to be from the book of Matthew. How many of us have heard or have believed that theology up until this point? that before the New Testament, there was no Christ. Christ had not appeared. How many of us believe that? How many of us believe that? Akos says she used to. How many of us believe that? Or used to believe that at least, you know? Indeed, indeed, you know, that prior to the New Testament, there was no mention of Christ. 
you see. So sincere, she has heard people say it. I mean, who have said it before, you know, I've heard people say it before. I think there was a point in time where I probably believed that myself until God opened my eyes to see the truth that Christ has always been. I mean, Paul talked about how everyone who was baptized, in the, everyone who passed through the Red Sea was baptized into Moses and they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, which was Christ, right? The rock that was following the Israelites in the wilderness, Paul said that was Christ, right? He also talked about how Moses considered the reproach of Christ more valuable than the riches of Egypt. But when we look back, we don't see any Jesus of Galilee there, do we? I'm asking. Did you see Jesus of Galilee following the Israelites in the wilderness as a stone? I'm asking. Did we see that people? Yes or no? Yes or no? I'm asking. No. 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 We didn't see the physical Jesus of Galilee. But the same spirit that was at work in him, that was walking, talking, and performing through him, was the same spirit that was moving all along. And in the Old Testament, there are many natural words or symbols that were used to describe the spirit of God. Who can tell me the ones that we have seen in our studies? Elements that were used to describe God's spirit. Who can tell me? Right off the top of your head. I'm sure you must know at least one based on the, our teachings over the past two weeks. You must know at least one. Oyechi, do you want oh, to talk? Water. Sorry. <laughs> water. Go on. Water. Awesome. Awesome. Water. Someone says fire. Someone says dove. Beautiful. I like how you all are just bringing out the different dimensions of it. Yes, Uri, you can see the burning bush, which is fire. Dan says the rock. Yes, Gala, the wind. But there's one I'm waiting for. There's one I'm waiting for. Someone said cloud. But there's one I'm waiting for. There's one I'm waiting for, which very much relates with what I'm talking about right now. There's one I'm waiting for. Someone says the rock, the wind, the oil. God bless you, Labake. The oil, the oil, the oil, the oil. The oil was used as a symbol of the spirit of God. The oil, the oil, the oil. And literally anyone who has the oil poured upon their head is called a Mashiach. Anyone who has oil poured on their head is called a Mashiach, which if we translate to English is called a Christ. Before Jesus Christ's appearance, there had been many Christs, or better said, many manifestations of Christ. They might not have been to the degree and caliber of Jesus of Galilee, which we're going to get to. But before his coming, there had been Christs. And the Christs were always appearing to do the same work. And who can tell me that work? Now, the Christ always comes to do based on a lot of things that were taught in the last session. Who can tell me what is the work that the Christ always comes to do? As a matter of fact, 
Aha, lovely IME day. Lovely IME day. Liberate from bondage to save. Can someone bring the scripture where Jesus Christ stood in the temple and he said, he quoted Isaiah saying, you have anointed me to liberate the people to set the captives free. Can, you, can someone pose that scripture for me? When Jesus Christ declared that, when Jesus Christ declared that, I think um, it's one of, it was one of, it's in one of the gospels. When Jesus Christ opened the book, I was talking from the book of Isaiah and he said that you have anointed me. I look at that word, you have anointed me. You see that word anointed is still mashach for a purpose to set captives free. But I want that scripture. I want to read the whole thing verbatim. So if we just post that briefly. Just post that briefly. Yes, of course. Could you post the scripture itself? Aha, uh -huh. thank you so much, Yusuf. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right there, we see the purpose of the anointing, which is the Christ. The Christ itself is the anointing of God. I want us to understand it like that. The Christ itself is the spirit of God. It is symbolized as oil. Understand the spirit of God is not oil. Oil is used as a symbol to describe the spirit of God that rests on a person. The same way the dove is also used as a symbol to symbolize the spirit of God that rests on a person. The same way fire is also used as a symbol to talk about the spirit of God that envelopes a person. Even the water as well also a symbol of the spirit of God. In one of our prayer calls in the morning, I think it was on Wednesday morning, I talked about how God is always described through the four elements. But that's a different teaching entirely, but all the four elements you see God being represented in one of them. When we talk about the wind, yes, the wind is the tempest, the wind is the breath, the wind is also the dove, the eagle, because these are um, um, symbols of flight. Right? As a matter of fact, the four living creatures are the four elements. You have the, the ox, which is a symbol of the earth. You have the lion, which consumes, which is a symbol of fire. You have the eagle, which flies, which is a symbol of air. And you have man, who is able to fit into any container, which is a symbol of water. The four elements are represented, even in the four living creatures. But that is a completely, um, that's a great diversion. Anyway. The spirit of God or the resting of the spirit of God is always in many instances, in many instances, represented as oil. And every time the Christ appears in any place, in any time, it's the same work that he comes to do at every given time, which we see in Luke in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 to 19. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. And if you look out throughout the Bible, we'll see many instances where people were anointed. 
And in those moments, the anointing comes upon them. In that moment, such a person actually becomes a Mashiach. They become a Christ or an embodiment of Christ upon the earth. According to the degree which their vessel can contain him. But I'll explain that a bit more as we proceed. All throughout the Bible, there have been a whole lot of Christs. And they always come to do the same work. Right now, I'm reminded of the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel, I believe, chapter, chapter 2. Chapter 2, when it says, the breath of God entered into me. Let me find out briefly. I think it's Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2. Hold on, let me just find it briefly. Ezekiel, I think it's Ezekiel chapter 2. One second, guys. Aha, aha. So Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1, verses 1, then 2. And it said, and he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Then the spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my, on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me. Let's just stop there. Then the spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me. Okay, let me go further. And he said to me, son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel. Who can tell me something that Jesus Christ always said all the time? Who can tell me something that Jesus always said all the time in relationship to this last um, sentence I just read out? Who can tell me something that Jesus Christ always said all the time? I think huh? there was some uh, sending the disciples to the lost sheep of Israel. No, but him himself, he said, there's something he said about himself that is related to that. He, was, he always said that he was sent of his father, isn't it? Isn't that what Jesus Christ always says all the time? That I have been sent by my father. I have been sent. I have been sent. I have been sent. I have been sent. Are you guys following? And every time a Christ appears, it's the same message, the same pattern that happens. And they always come to perform the same work. And you're going to see what I'm going to take this to because ultimately, Every message we teach, every message we preach has to always come down to us. Because every time we open the scripture, every time we read, the scripture is supposed to serve as a mirror for us. We have to see ourselves in the scripture. What is this thing saying about me? Are we following? What is this thing saying about me? And how does this apply to me in this time? We've read the entire book of Judges, right? And how in the book of Judges, all throughout this book, the same pattern happened over and over again. If you read it from the beginning to the end, you're going to see the same pattern happen throughout. And Israel sinned against God. They lost their way. They forgot the, the, the teachings of their fathers, so on and so forth. And then the next thing that happens is that they fall into captivity. They become slaves to a, to a heathen nation, so on and so forth. And then God raises a judge to deliver them from their captives, to set them free from their bondage. And then they'll be delivered for some time. They'll enjoy liberation and peace until they do the same thing again. 
and they fall into bondage, just like some of us. Some days we're like, oh, Jesus Christ is Lord, everything is going good, we're praying, speaking in tongues, and every this, every that, the next thing, bam, something happens, they were all quiet. That's when you see people now, you don't see them at any service anymore. They have run away from church, they have run away from Bible, they can't even pray. <laughs> you know, because the Philistines have grabbed them. <laughs> and we all know our Philistines, we don't, need, we don't need to begin to poke into a lot of that today, you know. The Philistines have had, had us bound. The, 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 the Gebusites have had us bound. So the whole of the book of Judges was that same pattern over and over again, right? The children of Israel sin against God. They will fall into spiritual captivity, which was symbolized with physical captivity. Then God will raise a judge to set them free. Now this happened over and over again onto the book of Samuel. Samuel was actually the last judge of Israel. Are we following? Samuel was the last judge of Israel. And after Samuel, they said they want a king, just like all the other people around them. And of course, we see that before Saul was anointed as king, before Saul became king, an anointing had to come upon him. And that anointing was for him to do what? Address the captivity of his generation at that time. Because every time the Christ appears, he always appears when there's some kind of captivity happening. And that's why I said the spirit of the Lord has appointed me to set the captives free, to bring the good news to the poor. Because the Christ always does the same thing everywhere, every time. Is the same pattern. It doesn't ever change. The book of Ezekiel is the same thing. Even though the book of Ezekiel seems very harsh, the words are very stiff, they were tight, they were almost cold, but it's the same work that Ezekiel came to achieve. There was a slavery that his people at that time were experiencing that God raised him to bring liberation for. Are we following are we following? Are we all on the same page? Is anyone lost? No one is lost? Hmm? No one is lost? Okay, awesome. Before I continue, does anyone have any thoughts, comments, questions, or all that's been said thus far? Before I continue, any thoughts, comments, questions on what have been said thus, on what has been said thus far? Okay, Yechi, you have a question. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, sorry, but mm-hmm. well, it has to do with when um John the Baptist, um, mm. how he fellowship with the Lord, and like with Say the Holy Spirit. Like how he had constant fellowship with the Lord and how he was like able to, co- like how because of his constant communion, he recognized like Jesus, right? By the help of the Holy Spirit. Well, one thing that I was like, I've been wondering about is how come like John, even though like all of that happened um, and, you know, he was able to recognize Jesus, he, he still asked when he was in prison, like, are you the Messiah or should we go look for someone else? 
um, you can answer that question like after this, if that's going to take us off a different tangent, or I could just ask you this privately, but I was just really thinking about it. So. No, no, it's still part of it. You know, it's still, it's still part of the ongoing discussion, you know, showing a differentiation between the spirit and the flesh, the supernatural and natural. When John in the spirit, caught up in the spirit, speaking from the dimension of the spirit, saw Jesus Christ, he declared, this is the lamb of God that has come to take away the sins of the world. And that's what he saw in spirit. But when he was in the dungeon of Herod, where there were rats, they were spending people, people probably had feces all over the floor and the suffering was great. It's quite obvious that in that moment, John was not in the spirit. The problems in his life were so amplified that his spiritual sight had been shut off. That something that he had once upon a time declared, he is now questioning it because of the suffering that he's experiencing. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. And it, yes. I said yes. Okay. 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 So we're trying to say does something. Does that make him a bad person? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Does that make John? Does that make John a bad person? Or it doesn't make him a maybe bad is not. It's not a matter of good or bad. It's not a matter of good or bad. It's a matter of the state he was in at that time. You know, I don't want us to call one good, call one bad. Just state the facts of what happened. In that moment, John was facing so many challenges that the challenges blinded him. And it can happen to anyone. It doesn't make one good or bad. Can one do bad things when they are blind? Absolutely. But the fact is, in that moment when he was, he was, um, he was um, in prison, suffering like everyone else might suffer, the suffering clouded his vision. And then what he once saw in spirit, he became blind to. So that's what happened with John the Baptist. So it's not as if that's what happened with John the Baptist. And for so many reasons, you know, because, you know, we're going to go further into that. I'll explain that after. I'll explain that after. I'm on Mary, you're trying to say something. Your hand was raised. Um, yes. It might, so that we don't lose the thread of what you were teaching if we go into this John the Baptist thing. Yes, yes, yes. Because there's a, uh, there's a dimension that we, mo uh, we must recognize about the... Um, you know, John the Baptist had come and pointed to the Christ and Jesus himself started his ministry. So there's an inter, like a kind of, uh, how would I put it now? Um, a cross, so went to, you know, it, the announcement of the kingdom of heaven had come because with yes. Christ came that the kingdom of heaven. And yes. John the Baptist was the forerunner, the one to announce it. Yes. Naturally, it was a dimension that was for the supremacy. Exactly. And the, uh, I may be wrong, but I think that John the Baptist was carrying on 
his ministry um instead of let me just say it let me be bold to say it is of falling in with the ministry of jesus christ he had announced the ministry of jesus christ so it was time for him to once jesus started his ministry he should fold out and join up with christ or some sort of thing he went on to preach to the uh, what i'll call unbelievers of that time and touch on their tail let me put it that way and that it's a trouble misfortune that trouble came and self-doubt and all the things that happen when you are low you know came upon him and that's that's why it came to a time that he would ask, Go and is he Christ? You know, or should we wait for another sorry, one? Sorry, it's just a thought. No, yeah, it's a very uh-huh. good thought. Sorry, it's a thought. Yeah, yeah, it's a very wonderful thought. And I mean, I, my, that, that would be my first also interpretation of that whole passage, you know, that, you know, the, the troubles that came upon him came as a result of him rattling the powers that be at that time. Um, whether or not, that was something he was supposed to do. I don't know. Because who knows whether God was going to told John to continue that way. Because I know there's a point where he said, he must decrease and I must decrease. Because see, some of the disciples are talking about how, oh, John, look, you're losing disciples. More people are going to be, be baptized by Jesus, by Jesus and so on and so forth. And John said, I already told you that I am not the light. That someone is after me that is greater than I am. But he must increase and I must decrease. That's what John declared with his own mouth. Now, whether or not God told him to continue, I don't know. But one thing is for sure. John continued poking at Herod at the time and that ultimately led to his demise and the suffering that came upon him. And I mean, him being in the dungeon and questioning a revelation that he himself gave shows that in that point, he was not very much in the spirit anymore and so on and so forth. But I don't want us to diverge too much into all of that, but that definitely is, is, you can definitely see that narrative playing out in the story, you know, of John the Baptist. But like I was saying, you know, yes, his flesh was much stronger at that point, very clearly. And I I mean, I I don't blame him, you know, like, (sighs) I don't blame him, you know, like sometimes just to small, once we start to see like uh, funny, funny numbers in our bank accounts, funny in a bad way, (laughs) Because I question a lot of things. You know, that's when we start to cry. Say, God, are you sure you love me? You know, God, are you sure you are there for me? Are you not seeing what's happening in my account? Jesus, I don't see you in this account, oh God. You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> suffering can do a lot to the mind. <laughs> so I don't blame John the Baptist. <laughs> suffering. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So it can do it. It can. It can really. It can. It can reset your thinking. <laughs> but God will help us that our, our thinking will not be reset by something. <laughs> it's reset by Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know. <laughs> amen, Patricia. Amen. <laughs> now your amen is strong. I believe you. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so all throughout the Bible, the spirit of Christ was symbolized by oil. And when you look at the Old Testament, the people who were anointed by oil were, who can tell me, who are the people that oil poured on their head, just off the top of your head? When you look at the Old Testament, who are the people that had oil poured on their head? 
Who can tell me? Who are the people that had oil poured on their heads? Yes, kings, exactly, kings. Kings had oil poured on their head. Who else had oil poured on their head? Who else had oil poured on their head? Yes, priests had oil poured on their head. Priests had oil poured on their head. Who else? Huh? Okwame, you want to say something? I said the priests. The priests, yes, the priests and prophets. And prophets as well had oil poured on their head. Priests, prophets, and kings had oil poured on their head. So Chia Makasi asked the question. She said, who poured oil on Jesus? I don't, don't think it was recorded, was it? Who can answer Chia Maka based on what I've been describing for the past hour? She said, who poured oil on Jesus' head? Who can answer that question? Okay, confidence. Go ahead. Well, um, I don't know if you can hear me. Go on. Can hear I can me? hear you. I can hear you. The dove, when the dove rested upon um, Jesus um, during the baptism, I feel like that was an expression of the oil, you know, being poured out, the anointing. Yes. Like I said earlier, you know, because even the question that was asked, it has to be rephrased because sometimes when we ask questions in a certain way, the answer can be misconstrued if the question itself is not properly phrased. Like I explained earlier, I said the oil is a representation of the spirit of God. The oil is not the spirit of God. The dove is a representation of the spirit of God. The dove is not the spirit of God. Does that make sense to us? Do we understand that? The wind is a representation of the spirit of God. The wind is not the spirit of God. Now, all these different elements that are used to represent God's spirit, there is a reason why they use them because of the characteristics of those elements, right? Oil, for example, olive oil, for example, right? If you look at olive oil, first of all, olive oil is gotten from, well, olives, right? And in order to get oil from olives, you have to press it. And you have to press a lot of olives. To get one bottle of olive oil, I don't know, you can Google it. It takes tremendous amount of olives to produce just one small bottle of olive oil. That's why olive oil is very expensive compared to maybe vegetable oil or, or oil of an animal or something like that, you know? To get one small bottle of oil takes a lot of olives. And that tells you that the oil is what? Who can tell me? If it takes a whole lot of olives to produce the olive oil, what does that tell you? What does that say about the oil? Who can tell me? Dense. Yeah, it's costly, it's rich, it's precious, it's valuable. <laughs> I'm just remembering something right now. This is a joke. You guys are going to laugh so much. <laughs> So I was in the supermarket with Esther like last week, right? <laughs> and they were, were, were on an aisle where they were selling oils and all that, you know? And then there was not one avocado oil there. Esther's like, oh, avocado oil, I want to try it. And also the price of the oil, it was 17000 I said, Esther, like, wow. <laughs> she not said that. But it's healthy, you know, it's a healthy. I said, healthy. I said, Esther, let me ask you a question. Your mother's senior sister is 85. She has lived for 85 years. Has she ever licked avocado oil in her life? 
<laughs> I should have said it before. She lived 45 years without avocado. It's not you that you don't need it to survive. <laughs> it was such a funny moment. <laughs> Very small, miserable bottle. I'm telling you. I said, how oh, wow. Please, I don't need that help to make. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> My health is in Jesus. Exactly, Jefferson. My health is in Jesus. <laughs> right, Uri, I would rather, I would actually would rather buy fuel. <laughs> you know, so in the same essence, you know, avocado oil is that expensive because of the amount of avocados required to get that small oil, you know, to tell you that it's something very precious, you know? So because of how precious it is, because of how many olives are required to bring out a small bottle of oil, that's why they use it as a symbol of the spirit of God. Does that make sense? To tell you how this is something very precious, something that is costly, that is not easy to come by. Does, does that symbol make sense? Do you see the, 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 the wisdom behind the Holy Spirit being symbolized as oil, is it, is it very clear? You know? And also, they use oil as well to power their lamps, right? And it powers it in a very clean way. It's not like um, petroleum. When you use olive oil to power lamp, it's very clean. Very clean. It doesn't leave residue. It's just beautiful. Exactly. You see, non-smoky. The oil from an olive oil lamp, this, the fire from an olive oil lamp is beautiful, bright, and it doesn't pollute the atmosphere. So all these physical attributes is what made them use it as a symbol for God's spirit. Whatever, whatever physical thing that is used to represent a spiritual thing will always have some interesting quality. Like when they say Jesus is a lamb. Yes, you look at the lamb. It's a very humble creature. It's obedient. It does what the master says. And everybody just Christ kept on saying, everything you see me do is what I see my father do, you know? And aside from that, it also gives its flesh for you to eat. It gives its skin for you to put on as clothing. It's a giving creature. You know, it's a giving creature. A dove also is white, which is a symbol of purity, you know? Also a symbol of generosity. You know, and also peaceful nature because a, a dove is not a bird of prey. It doesn't go around attacking other animals and so on and so forth. It's not a vulture. It's not like an eagle. Although the spirit of God is also symbolized as an eagle for also the, the spirit of God's predatory nature. You know, because God is not just a lamb. He's also a lion and so on and so forth. So all these beautiful symbols are used to describe God's spirit. And we have to familiarize ourselves with them. Because on one hand, the spirit of God can be called fire. On another hand, it can be called water. On another hand, it can be called lion. So we always have to read everything in context to understand what is being described here. Because there's one spirit, one essence, but it can be described through many things. Are we understanding, people? Is this making sense to us? Is this making sense to us? Hmm? Awesome. Awesome, awesome. You know? So that's why they use oil 
you know, to describe the spirit of God. So yes, in this sense, oil was poured on Jesus Christ's head, but not, but not, but not literal oil. But based on what oil represents, we can say, yes, oil was poured on his head. And of course, the name Mashiach means the anointed one. So of course, oil was on his head. And that, that just opens us up to reading in a much more poetic sense because they call him the anointed one, but yet it was a dove that came upon him, not oil. Then begs one to ask, if they call him anointed, but we don't see any oil poured on his head, then that means there is some kind of relationship between the dove and the oil. Does that make sense to us? Does that make sense? Aha. So that tells us there must be some relationship between the dove and the oil. Because remember, Christ means the anointed one. That is the one who has had anointing poured on his head. So that is a given. There's anointing on his head. Now, if, if there's no physical um, passage that shows anointing being poured on his head, it begs one to ask, okay, then what is the relationship between what happened to him and this title of being anointed? And then our eyes become open to pictures that we hadn't seen before. You see, because it was at that river Jordan in front of John the Baptist that the anointing came upon him, that the spirit rested upon him, that the spirit tabernacled in him. Before then, before that time, it wasn't so. Are we following? Before that time, it wasn't so in that capacity or in that degree, because Christ is not a last name. It's because we look at it in English. If you read it in Hebrew, you realize that the word Christ is an adjective, the anointed one, someone who is anointed, Yeshua, the one who has been anointed. And in, in Israel, someone who is anointed is the king. Whether he's a king or is the high priest, which before, which in a sense is also a kind of king in the land. Are you, are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Don't worry, confidence, I'll get there. I'll get there. Yeah. So let me just bring us some few passages where they talk about anointing. Let me bring us some passages. Um, um, okay, for example, we see 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. Right? And it says, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. What does that tell us about the oil? Who can tell me based on this scripture? What does that tell us about the oil? Hmm? What does that tell us about the oil? The oil represents the spirit. And that's why we see the moment the oil was poured on his head, he was baptized by, God bless you, Onyechi, baptized by the Holy Spirit. And that's why you see so many times, Paul talking about how you were baptized, you were anointed with the Holy Spirit. I think the scripture goes like that, that you were, you were anointed by the Holy Spirit. 
In some places, they say you're anointed with oil. Some places, they're anointed with the Holy Spirit because it's the same thing. In some places, they say you're baptized in water. Some places, they'll say you're baptized into Christ or baptized into the Spirit of God because water is also a symbol of the Spirit. It's also a symbol of the Spirit. It is possible for you to have been immersed inside water 15 times in your life, but you do not carry the presence of God. Because it is not about being baptized into physical water. It's about being baptized into the spirit of God. Now, this does not throw away the water baptism. This does not say that the water baptism doesn't have any meaning. But it doesn't have any meaning if it is separated from the spirit of God. Because the physical water is a symbol. And it is indeed possible if someone is very much charged with the Holy Spirit, that the moment they touch the water, that moment that they pray in that water, it becomes a gateway for the Spirit of God to enter. And that's why you see some baptisms, once they put them inside, the person just comes out. They're just speaking. All kinds of manifestations are happening. Yes, because that water ceased to become normal water. It became a channel for the force of God by reason of the person who laid hands upon it. The moment you are filled with the presence of God, anything you touch can become an extension for his force. Paul's shadow became an extension of the power of God that just by people stepping on his shadow, healing came upon them. Even his handkerchief, just by him touching it and releasing it, people just touch that handkerchief and healing comes upon them. Because when you're a carrier of the presence of God, anything you touch can also be an extension. Because you also, you're an extension of God. You're a gateway of God. And if you're a gateway, you can also make another thing become a gateway as well. Haven't you seen programs where people are doing healing and they will just pick up a child and they will touch the child and they will tell the child, now go and start laying hands on people. And the child will go into the crowd and touch people. They will just all kind of manifestations will be happening. Haven't you seen that? Haven't you seen that? You know? In that moment, the person who is a gate of God makes another person or another thing become a gate of God. And that thing starts to transfer the presence. Exactly, Paul, like the pool of Bethesda. And there's some people who can even make this of buildings, right? Because they themselves are carriers of the presence of God. And that's why when we talk about, you see, when, when you talk about, you know, when you have a temple and they say, when you come to church, don't speak profane words, don't do bad things, don't say, don't, don't fight, don't quarrel. It's not about being religious and saying, oh, let's pretend to be good. That building that all of you have come to worship, right? As you come there every day to worship, to pray, and to focus yourself on God, there is a kind of energetic atmosphere that has been created there. That building starts to become a portal. Do you understand? The building itself becomes a portal to heaven. It becomes a gate of heaven. And so long as the right energies are being imputed into that same beauty, anyone who comes there, the moment you just enter there, you are already translated. And that's why there are some places they say, don't talk anyhow. And there are different dimensions of consecration. You see? And that's why they always talk about how when you get here, don't talk anyhow, don't do anyhow, don't dirty the house of God. It's not about being religious. Well, as of this age and time, it has become very, very religious. 
But the reason why people were doing all these things was because they were charging that atmosphere in a certain kind of way. They were putting, they were making it become an extension of the life of God that flows through them. That anyone who enters into it, well, humans have the capacity to embody God. But you see, God is in everything. There is no place you won't find God because God is a very battery that powers all of creation. But humans have the capacity to harness him in a way that other things cannot. But nonetheless, it is possible for me to pick up an object like this and the life of God that flows through me, I can transfer it into this object that anyone who touches it, that same life is transferred into them. Because the spirit of God the energy of God can be likened unto electricity, which has the capacity of being transferred from one container to, the, to another. That's why we talk about the passing of current. It can be passed from one to another. That's why we also have impartation. It can be passed from one to another. You see? So when Samuel laid his hand upon David and poured the oil on his head, he was imparting everything that he had received from God into this young man to begin his own journey. Understand, it's not as if Paul, it's not as if, um, it's not as if um, Samuel gave him the spirit of God. Samuel opened up, I can't, it's so hard to explain it. I'm just, God, give me the utterance, oh God, give me the utterance, give me the utterance. Because when he lays hand on him, it looks as though he's the one giving the person the spirit of God, but that's not what's happening. It's almost as if he's, he's opening a gate for that thing to enter. Almost as if he's, he has the key that can unlock something for it to happen in the life of David. Like a, you can call it like a kingmaker, something like he's, he's serving as a kind of conduit, right? For the spirit of God to move into David. Also sharing, in sharing with David everything that he himself has received from God. And that's why he trained David, you know, as David was coming up in the, in the region of Ramah and taught David everything he knew. Just the same way Eli taught him everything he knew. He also taught David everything he knew, you know. So in that moment, he anointed David. That oil was a symbol of the spirit of God, but not just that. Because you see, Samuel was not a normal person. He wasn't a normal person like everyone else. He had worked with God so much that he was literally, he was a carrier of the presence. He was a host of the presence of God. I'm sure Amalara would like that uh, phrase I just used. <laughs> you know, he was a host of the presence of God. And because he was a host of the presence of God, he could cause any element around himself to become an extension of that presence. And that's why the oil that he carries is not normal oil. Understand, the oil itself doesn't have power, which is a mistake that the previous generation, well, to a degree, have made because they began to idolize the oil. And before praying, they'll say, let me, let me get oil. If I don't oil, put oil on your head, you can't be healed. There's some truth in that, but only truth in the sense if that particular oil has been energized. If someone who is a gateway of the presence of God has transferred what is inside of him into that oil, 
then that oil becomes vivified. It becomes electrified. It ceases to become normal oil, but only because it had an encounter with a temple of God. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? It is we who are the carriers. The oil just borrows what we have for a short moment to do a particular work, but it's we that have it. Do you see Jesus Christ going around to put oil on people? Even if he did, there's nothing wrong with, I don't get my point. The point is, the problem is when people idolize that and say it can only be this way. Because there were times when Jesus Christ healed people with just a word. There were times where he spat into the ground and put on the face, right? There were times where he laid hands on them. You can't put God in a box and say, this is how it will be. It's, it's not that way. You know, you can't put God in a box because it's the people that are the temple of God. It's the people that are the carriers. And what is inside of us is what is transferred out that can make a water become blessed, that can make oil become blessed, that can make food become blessed. When we pray with the Holy Communion, we say, oh, Jesus, enter into this bread. Do we see any physical person entering into the bread? <laughs> I'm asking. Huh? When we say, oh, Jesus, enter this bread, does anybody descend from space to enter inside the physical bread? But yet, he enters. But a spirit you get what I'm saying? And in that moment that we become a gateway for the spirit of God to enter into, to enter into that bread, it ceases to become normal bread. It becomes a gate into the throne room of God. Same thing with water baptism. Same thing with pouring oil on someone's head. It's not about the oil. The oil is a representation of the spirit. But if that person that holds that oil actually host the presence of God. As they pour oil on someone's head, you are going to see the reaction. As they put them inside the water, you're going to see the reaction. And sometimes they don't even need to do that. They will just speak. And immediately they speak, that person has already been baptized. It hits them like a wave. These are realities. You can't put God in a box. You know? So Samuel poured the oil upon the head of David. And in that moment, the spirit of the Lord rested upon him. And from that moment, he was called an anointed one. That's why you see this written, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. That word, touch not my anointed, if you read it in Hebrew, it says, touch not my Mashiach. Are you guys getting my point? Moses, David was a Mashiach. He was a Christ in his own generation, in his own time, in his own place. He was an anointed one. He was a Christ. Saul was also a Christ. And I will show you a passage. When, when, when Saul was sleeping in the wilderness and David found him with one of his men, right? This is the book of 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 8 to 9. And I'm just going to read it here. So in this passage, this was around the time, Chiamaka, don't worry, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there, don't worry. In this passage of David, this was around the time when 
Saul was after David's life and David had to run into the wilderness and all those things. And it's around this time he wrote a lot of those psalms when he was lamenting and said, God, don't deliver me to my enemies, rescue me from my enemies. It was a time when he was in the wilderness, when Paul was chasing him, when Saul was chasing him. Now, this happened to be a time when in that same wilderness, he found Saul sleeping and every member of his camp was sleeping, right? And David was with one of his, his strong men, right? And then, and then, David was one of his strong men, and then they saw Saul sleeping, and they were, he, he, let, me just put, let me just put the scripture. So he says, Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Are you guys seeing this picture? In Hebrew, that was written as Mashiach. Because in Saul's time, Saul was actually a Mashiach. He was a Christ as a result of the anointing of God that came upon him. And believe it or not, the same way Jesus Christ was anointed to set captives free, to preach the good news to the poor, and to bring a message of liberation, was the same thing, was the same reason why Saul was raised. Are you getting my point? Because there was a bondage that was existing in the time, in that time in Israel. Because remember, the Christ always appears to set people free from some kind of captivity. And he always appears in a vessel that is ready. A vessel that is prepared. And another symbol for the spirit of God is also Wine. Wine. So we have to familiarize ourselves with the different symbols that are used to describe God's spirit in order to keep ourselves up to date with the narratives that are playing. Because the scripture cannot change it. One place they say wine, one place they say, they say wind, one place they say fire, one place they say water. And you might think they're talking about different things. But it's actually the same thing that is being spoken about in different manifestations. And Saul was raised as a Mashiach of his time, being called by God to serve and give himself for the salvation of his people at that time. And how did he save them? Who can tell me? If you read the, if you read the story of, of the life of Saul from a spiritual point of view, when he fought battles, fought wars, you know, defeated Israelite enemies, how does this paint a picture of salvation? If you read it spiritually, who can tell me? How do those stories paint a picture of salvation? Who can tell me? Who can tell me? Hey, are we quiet? Are we quiet? Wow. Okay, Onyechi, go ahead. Okay, so I'm just going to guess. Um, no guess, okay. Yeah, so essentially, I think it means like liberating them from like sin, you know, the things that like keep them bound from it, like spiritual. Because physically, the Israelites had physical enemies. But we must remember, like I've said a lot of times, the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, used physical things 
to talk about spiritual things. That's why Paul came to teach, saying, our weapons of war are not physical. Some translations will say, our weapons are not, our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to pull down strongholds. So in the Old Testament, it says that Saul came to fight physical enemies, the Philistines, the Gergeshites, the Jebusites. It says that he came to fight these things physically. But that was just a symbol of the spiritual wars that Saul fought in his time. Because like I said, every physical person is an embodiment of a kind of spirit. So for example, in my generation, if I say I come to fight the spirit, if I, if I say in my generation, I come to fight the kingdom of Paris. When you go to Paris, you see what is very rampant there. You see that the spirit of sexual immorality has plagued the land. Now that is what Paris is an embodiment of, the spirit of sexual immorality. Are you guys getting my point? The spirit of sexual immorality. They call it the city of love, but it's actually the city of lust. Are you guys getting my point? So if I say poetically that, oh, I've appeared to fight Paris and I burned their cities, I did this, I did that. It is a physical representation of the spirit that is behind Paris, which has captivated a people. Growing up, I listened to a lot of hip hop. 50 Cent, Jada Kiss, Ja Rule, Jay-Z, Kanye West, you know, uh, Ludacris, and all of their music videos had certain key elements. One, they had an ostentatious display of money, which, as a which is as a result of their, well, well, let's say slavery mindset. Because when a person has lived their life oppressed for so long, and all of a sudden, they find themselves becoming chairman. They feel unbelievably compelled to prove themselves. That is a kind of slavery. I, I, I need to show you that I'm no longer under your feet. Now I must shout it. Because even though they might have money now, psychologically, they still look at these people as better than them. And that's why they have to go out of their way to prove it. Now that action is a product of a spirit that they are enslaved to, right? Now, me growing up, watching that, I don't even have to be in America physically. I don't even have to have grown up in Black America. Just by my downloading of those music videos, that same slavery that is upon them is translated onto me. And all the way from Bambi 5, I used to fight my mom whenever she travels. I said, listen, you must buy me G-Unit trouser, shirt. I need the chain. I need the Timbaland. She had to buy it too. If not, there will be one in the house. <laughs> I had to have all the genies, all that stuff. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know? I remember one time when I was in London, I think I was like maybe nine years old. This went 50 cents. Um, one album he brought came out. And I went to the store to buy the CD. You know? Yeah, right? <laughs> Francis. Genie sneakers was part of the school uniform. You can't tell me nothing. <laughs> You know, so I went to the store to buy one of 50 Cent's new albums, you know, and then I wanted to pay for it. The lady was not telling me, I'm sorry, you're too young to buy it. 
I'm like, what do you mean? So I'm too, you're too young to buy. They use enough curse words inside the song so you can buy the CD. I was so mad. I went to go and meet my auntie. I said, my auntie, please come, come and help me. I, I actually lied to her. I said, please come and pay for this CD. They said, I'm too young to pay for it. So she not came. The day I told her, I'm too young to buy it. That they, are, they use a lot of curse words and profane language. And I told my auntie, I said, well, auntie, I already use curse words too. I said, <laughs> And actually, at that age, I was already using a lot of curse words, you know. It was normal. It was normal, you know. Watching women move their clothes, dance and shake in the pool and all that stuff. It was normal for me. At how old? I was not even 10 years old. Right? Now, that, that, those physical actions that were portrayed in those music videos are a manifestation of a spiritual bondage that had come to meet me all the way in Nigeria. Now, that is the battle I am going to face in my time or one of the battles that I'm going to face in my time. So when they talk about, because even physically speaking, if they say a kingdom invades your land, and especially back then, right? Because religion, culture was the heart and backbone of a people. And you cannot truly colonize a physical nation if you don't get them to convert their beliefs. Because so long as their religion, their belief is still present, no matter what, sooner or later, it's going to make them force themselves out of your, your grip. So when they colonize a nation, when they conquer a nation, they also can conquer your religion. Because they know that's where you receive your strength from. Everyone needs to draw strength from the spirit. So the first thing they will attack is your, 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 your core beliefs, your principles, the things you live by, and initiate you into their own. So it's not just about being in physical Babylon. It's not about being in physical chains of Babylon. It's about being in the spiritual chains that also have Babylon bound. Because even though the, the King Xerxes of Babylon, no, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, believed himself to be the leader of the free world, he himself was a slave. Because what will make a person feel like they are great by putting everyone under their feet? That is a perfect picture of a man who is actually very small, who has felt oppressed all his life, that he feels like the only way he can be delivered from his oppression is by oppressing others. It's cowardice at its highest and fear. And that's why anyone who rises up like a threat, he kills them immediately. If someone in his kingdom rises and tries to oppose his government, he kills them because he's afraid of them. Because every time you shout at him, you are reminding him that he's a weak man and he doesn't want to be reminded of that. So he kills everyone who can stand as a mirror for him. Cuts their head off because they don't like to see their reflection. They want to see lies. Oh, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest of them all? That's the mystery behind that um, um, old Snow White story. All those stories are very powerful, have deep mysteries inside of them, you see? Because that witch is a representative of many people in power. They have people around them that lie to them. That's what you call yes men. So they keep all those kind of people around who always praise them. Oh, you're doing so great. Oh, you're the best, you're the best. Anyone who tells them the truth, you are cut off because they can't stand to see the reflection. Because deep down, even though they are acting like they are kings and they are free men, they are in the greatest kind of slavery. 
And anyone who comes under them is also subjected to that same slavery. So when Saul was fighting the Philistines, on a physical level, it just looks like he was fighting physical people. But if you read those passages in the spirit, he was fighting the spiritual slavery that was a threat to Israel at that time. Because that's what the Christ always comes to do. To set the captives free. Because in every generation, there is a unique kind of captivity. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? In every generation, there's a unique kind of captivity. There was a captivity that was present in the age of Noah. There was a captivity that was present in the age of Enoch. A captivity that was present in the age of Abraham. There was a captivity that was obviously present in the age of Moses. And whenever the Christ appears, he comes to carry out this same work of liberation by giving away himself for others to also arise. It is the same work that is always done all throughout the ages and is the exact same work that we are also called to. Now, someone asked a very beautiful question. Chemaka asked, she said, what differentiates Jesus from all these other people who were also Christ's? First of all, in the hierarchies of the spirit, when we talk about what we call names in the kingdom of God, and it was something an angel taught me, he said, you don't ever compare anyone to anyone. You don't, because that is not how in their realm of thinking they process things. You don't say which one is, it's not looked at like that. Because once one does that, that's when the whole concept of I am for Paul and I am for Apollos comes in. That's when the concept of, oh, I'm for Jesus, I'm not for Ezekiel comes in. Oh, I'm for Paul, I'm not for Old Testament comes in. Because we start to say one is better than the other, not realizing that every one of them are part of one full fabric. But nonetheless, it is without a doubt and true that Jesus of Nazareth attained a name that is far more excellent than every other name before him. But we must understand that they are names. And when we talk about a name, a name is not just nomenclature as we know it. It talks about a dimension, a class inside of God that people have attained. So Moses is not just a person. Moses is a dimension that he baptized his generation into. That's why Paul said, don't you know that everyone who passed through the Red Sea was baptized into Moses? Have you read that scripture before? He said they were baptized into Moses. How can you baptize into Moses? If Moses was just a representation of someone physical, and this is something I actually wrote in a study guide that's going to come out for the last session. I actually wrote a bit about this, so look out for that. Because Moses is not just a person. Moses is a dimension of attainment in God. is a dimension of revelation of God at that time. Are you guys following? Is everyone following what I'm saying? Is everyone following? 
Are we all following? Yes, yes, yes we are. Yes, we yeah? are. No one is lost. Uh -huh. So instead of Jesus Christ, that he was given the spirit of God without measure, more than anyone else, he had the spirit of God without measure. In the book of second, is it first or second Kings with Elijah and the widow who had no money to pay off her debts and he told her, enter room, lock the door and bring out jars and oil will be pouring, oil that you can use to pay off your debt, which is a very deep symbol because remember I told you that oil is representative of the spirit of God. And we talk about how Jesus Christ appears to pay our debts and oil was given to her to pay off her debts. It's not just a physical story, it's a spiritual story, but I'm not going there today. I'm just going to just use something in that story to paint a, paint a picture. So she brought jars and oil was being poured into them. And the oil was pouring perpetually because there's always oil, right? But the moment she said, I have no longer, I no longer have any container. That was the moment the oil ceased. Because the oil itself is boundless. The limitation is what? Who can tell me? If the oil is boundless, what is the limitation? Vessel. Mm. the vessel the container is what is limited is what is limited now jesus of galilee was an unlimited vessel that is if you say there's a difference that's what makes him different because he was able to embody the boundlessness of our spirit it is written that the pleroma the fullness of the godhead dwelt in him bodily the fullness the fullness, but don't you understand? You can't appreciate that statement until you see what 40% of that fullness looks like. Do you understand? You can't, you can't appreciate a great fighter until you see fighters that are less than him. That's when you actually fear that person. So you mean this guy that is messing me up, you mean that this is your boy? <laughs> are you guys getting my point? <laughs> are you guys getting my point? You mean that this guy that we're all scared of, this is your boy. So if this is your boy, who are you, please? Because, you know, <laughs> we quote scripture a lot, we quote scripture a lot, we quote scripture a lot, but who can come out and stand and say that right now as they are? There are people like that, but not mainstream, but who can come out and stand and say that they, as they exist in today, are functioning from the realm that Moses attained? How? <laughs> Show me. Show me, where, where are you? Where are you? Because it's so easy to quote scripture. Say, oh, I'm seated above, I'm above this, I'm above. <laughs> but your demon is flogging in your dream. <laughs> I say, oh, um, Moses is beneath me. All this Old Testament, they didn't have any revelation. <laughs> I'm, better, I'm more than Elijah. <laughs> I'll sway. <laughs> How sway? <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. It is said that Enoch walked with God until he was no more. Not that he ceased to exist. He ceased to exist as just a member. He was no longer a member. It is written that he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit. 
Enoch walked with God till he himself became the spirit of God. Are you understanding? He became the spirit of God himself. He became the spirit of God. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? That's the journey that one is on. The journey of becoming. But of course, on this journey, there are degrees and degrees. Moses is a degree. Moses is, is a dimension. Moses is a level of attainment. So also was Abraham. Do you know who Abraham is? Do you know what he attained? Do you know what he touched? Do you know? It's beyond. It's beyond. Because you can't look at that man and how he wrote and how he spoke and look at the depth of wisdom that came from his offspring and you just talk and say, this man didn't know anything. Wow. Really? Okay. Sure, bro. <laughs> and you say they had no depth of revelation. Wow. <laughs> cool, bro. <laughs> you know, the Christ has always been. What made Jesus the differentiating factor was that he attained a realm in God greater than every realm they attained. If I would reveal a mystery to us, when we talk about salvation, when we talk about deliverance, every dimension of God, every heaven, every sphere is actually a kind of salvation. If I'll bring it to simple terms, primary three is a salvation from primary two. Primary four is a salvation from primary three. Primary five is a salvation from primary four. Are you guys getting my point? Now, primary one is something because it's a dimension of knowledge, it's a dimension of experience, it's a dimension of understanding. But even in that, compared to primary three, primary two is slavery. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? It gets much, much deeper than this, much, much deeper than this, but this is the best way to introduce it. Because when we start getting into the mystical aspect of things, that's when the game will really change. But if these basic things are not understood, then at that point, we'll really be lost. But we need to understand it like this, that primary two is a salvation from primary one. Primary one is a salvation from pure, pure ignorance, pure olodo. <laughs> primary one is a salvation from pure olodo. But when you enter primary one, there's degrees and degrees. Let me show you what Paul said in the book of Philippians. I believe chapter three. Philippians, exactly. When we marry from glory to glory, indeed. Because the glory that you have experienced, the heaven that you have seen is not all that there is to God. There is more. And every, every dimension in God is a greater revelation of his light, of his person, and it's a greater freedom from a kind of bondage. Because as great as Moses is, I mean, you can't even stand near such a person. You can't stand near him. You can't. It's, it's like, you can't stand near him. But yet with that, there, he still existed in a dimension of slavery. But from where he's standing, you can't. Because from Mo if you stand beside Moses, <laughs> how can I explain it? How can I explain it? You know, like they say, if you stand, if let me put like this, a, A, 2A, 2A. A basic teacher in, in high school, to a basic teacher in high school, I'm an illiterate. 
But that basic teacher in high school to someone with PhD, that teacher is an illiterate. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Do we understand that? Yes, it does. Yes, yes. In, in common English, we say there are levels to this. Or if we pick, bring it to broken English, something they will pass you. <laughs> if I bring it to very simple language, you get something with they will pass you. <laughs> you know? So from where we're standing, Moses is way beyond us. I want us to understand. That attainment in God is far. But even in that, there is a limitation. But you won't know it, right? For example, if you're a very skilled, if you're a very skilled writer, hmm? you're a skilled writer, or you're a skilled architect, someone who is not proficient in your field, they're not able to see your limitations, right? They'll say, ah, you're so perfect. Oh my God, your life is so perfect. You have everything, right? But you who are living in that reality, know your own limitations, true or false? True or false? That a person who is outside of, aha, that a person who is outside of where you are existing, they can't see. But the fact that they can't see your limitations does not mean that limitations are not there. So if you stand in front of Moses, you can't see his limitations because his life is far greater than yours. But that doesn't mean that where he is, they're not chairman above him. Now, this is where we now talk about a name higher than other names. And I think someone puts UI Scooty, which is a very beautiful picture. You know, for example, our son compared to our planet is mighty. But yet, when you put our son to planets like to sons, like other sons like UI Scooty, like Beetlejuice, like XY um, Canoris, we find out that our son is actually a very small thing. And that's the same way it is in the realms of the spirit in the kingdom of, or kingdom, kingdoms of heaven. Right? And every dimension of God is actually a higher degree of salvation. Because as enlightened as Pramitu is, Pramitu still has a kind of ignorance. Does that make sense to us? Does that make sense to us? As enlightened as Prami 2 may be, there's an ignorance that Prami 2 has. True or false? Hmm? True or false? As rich as Jeff Bezos may be, there's something that he's poor in. Now, we know of his riches, and that's all we can see. But because we have not experienced his riches, because we haven't experienced his heaven, we can't know of his poverty. We can't know of his limitations. We can't know of the hell that he has to conquer. Now you see, I talked about one thing, but I used three different representations in order to expand our understanding of what I'm saying. Because, because for every heaven, that one attains, there is a hell that they have to conquer, period. The kind of opponents that see Ronaldo faces is, Ihena Cho does not know that. You get what I'm saying? The kind of opponents that Anthony Joshua is facing, Bashali doesn't know anything about that. Do you guys get what I'm saying? Because in every height you attain, that height is also commensurate with the adversary that you must conquer as well. 
So Moses also had an adversary in his own dimension of existence that he had to be saved from in order to ascend further. Do you guys understand? Now, Jesus Christ is someone who even went beyond that. Understand, Noah brought a revelation of God. And that revelation, he passed it to Shem, who also passed it to Abraham. Well, Abraham and Shem both taught Abraham and lifted Abraham up. But understand that Abraham went beyond Noah, right? And Abraham set a doctrine that went on. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, etc., etc. And remember, Abraham also had another wife called Keturah who produced other children, right? One of them was Midian, right? Who went on to form a whole nation, right? A nation where Jethro came from, who taught Moses the ancient path that, of course, came as a result of his ancestry to Abraham. Are you guys following what I'm saying? Because Noah brought a light. Abraham brought a light that was more than Noah, more than Abraham. And Moses brought a light that was more than Abraham. And that's how the light has been increasing over and over and over and over again. But all of them bring a level of salvation to the world. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Because remember, and someone should bring this for me. Moses said to the people, he said, on this day, you shall see the salvation of the Lord. And the Egyptians you see today, you will see them no longer. In Hebrew, it literally reads, today you shall see the Yeshua of the Lord. So Moses actually brought a salvation to the people at that time. But compared to Jesus, who was in primary four, Moses' primary three was slavery. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Do we all understand that? Uh Ah. Compared to Moses' primary four, compared to Jesus' primary four, Moses' primary three was slavery. And as much as it brought light and liberation and freedom to the people of that time, what was once liberation in one generation becomes bondage to another. Are you aware that Tinibu and all these people were actually people who brought liberation to Nigeria? Do you know that? Do you guys know that? That Tinibu and all these people were actually freedom fighters that actually brought a kind of salvation to Nigeria? Do you guys know that? Tinibu brought salvation to Nigeria. Do you guys know that? You know? But yet, something that was once upon a time a salvation has become what? Slavery. Something that was once upon a time, once upon a time, a salvation. In a higher life, in a higher way of living, becomes a slavery. And yes, we thank God for what Tinibu did in the 1990s. We thank God for how he fought. We just thank God for the things he did. Even when he came as governor and established a lot of wonderful systems, we thank God for that which was salvation at one point has now become slavery in another point. You know, exactly, Paul, that serpent later became an idol. 
they started worshiping it because they, 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 it, it, it became a bondage to them, you see. But what's the point of all these things that I'm saying about how all through the Old Testament, Christ has been appearing and has been manifesting through people. I'm, I, even put, I put a scripture once, I think yesterday night in the group chats, maybe someone can post it for me, where I posted the scripture of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses, I think, 9 to 11, where Peter talked about how the spirit of Christ that was in the prophets of the Old Testament was testifying of the coming of Jesus, showing very clearly, very clearly, right? Showing very clearly that it was the same spirit that was at work in them, you see? And like I said, the Christ always appears, always appears to set the captives free. And in every generation, there's something that keeps the people bound. In your family, there is something that has kept them bound. It just seems as though one second to break through, everything scatters. It just seems as though, why is it that all the women in my family find it hard to get married. The moment they get married, their husband just be, become vagabonds. Why is it that? No matter how much we try, even if we go to school, get good education, poverty hasn't left my family. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? Are you seeing how it's coming to us now? Are you guys seeing it? Are you seeing it? Are you guys seeing it? Are you guys in the picture I'm painting now? Are you guys seeing it? Yes. Hmm? Because God always raises up Christ to fight the same battles. The battle of the liberation of the people. He always appears to set captives free. He always appears to set captives free. The same spirit inside many, 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 many vessels. To some vessels, it can do so much. In some vessels, it can do so little. But it's the same spirit that is manifesting in different vessels trying to achieve that same work of delivering the people from the things that have them bound. I guess get what I'm saying. And that's why we see in, in, in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts chapter two, verse 36, it says of Jesus the Christ. It says of Jesus the Christ. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know that God, let all the house of Israel know that God has made this Jesus. Listen, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. What does this scripture say? Who can expand a little bit? When you say, God has made this Jesus, 
whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Who knows the point I'm trying to emphasize here? Who knows what I'm trying to emphasize here? Remember, Christ means the one who is anointed and is something that is bestowed upon a person by God. What does this mean here? Are we quiet? Are we lost? Are we sleeping? Okay, let me elaborate because it seems like a lot of us are. Confidence, what does this mean here? I was actually about to raise my hand. <laughs> um, I believe that this, this uh, paints a picture of the conferment of authority on Christ, on Jesus, the man, due to um, what he has done or what he has established. So God made him Lord as in, so when we say landlord, the one who owns the land, you know, so God has made him both owner and savior because we know that the Christ or um, Lord Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who comes to liberate. So God has made him both the owner and the liberator of us. So that confirmation of authority, yeah. Indeed, is something that he became. And I'm emphasizing this for us to understand that if it's something that he became, is something that we also can become. Actually, it's something that we are also called to become. Are you guys getting the point I'm getting at? This is something that Jesus became. He said, who God made, Lord and Christ. It was something that he became. Another scripture in Acts says, this Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Look at, I see it's so important that they made this statement. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Do you see that word? God was with him. So from that place, you can see that there are two people being spoken about. God and him. Everything that he was, everything that he did was as a result of the partnership that he had with his heavenly father. God was with him. He did it because God was with him. If God was not with him, he would not have done any of those things. His empowerment, his battery, his life force, his fire was God who was with him. And this is the same gateway that is being opened to us as well. Because for a very long time, for a very long time, we have, we have placed Jesus Christ so high in the heavens that we forget that the Son of Man still has his place upon the earth. And that's the problem when we make something too high or we make something too low we lose the ability to relate with it. And the relatability of between us and Jesus Christ is the point. Before I go for Nancy, I see you have your hand raised. Hey, Al Shikar, good evening. Hi, everybody. Good evening. Okay, so 
I've got the question now. Does it mean yeah. that when in John 1, 1, when it says in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and it became flesh and dwelt, let me not misquote, but yeah. Does it and mean amongst men. that, yes, does it mean that that same scripture applies to the prophets that came before Jesus and also applies to him? Because, um, like when you say he became, it means that, you know how we always, I, personally, I always felt like from the beginning, Jesus was God. But when you say he became, it's almost as if it's similar to when, like the birth of Samson, for example, which was foretold a bit like Jesus by an angel and the rest. And then the spirit of God came upon him. So it's almost as if Jesus and Samson are almost the same thing because the spirit dwelt in them and, and became flesh and walked through them, for example. But yet Jesus is esteemed higher. So I don't know if, if my question makes sense, does it apply to everybody that came before? And then are you now saying by extension, that same scripture is supposed to apply to us as Christians if the word becomes flesh and as we dwell among men? Oh, she guys looking at me. I'm not looking away. I'm I'm listening. I'm, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> well. I mean, you're already answering your own question, you know, because um, he's called the kinsman redeemer for a reason. What does the word kinsman mean? What is the scripture of kinsman redeemer? I don't know why the Holy Spirit brought that into my mind. Is that actually in the Bible? Kinsman redeemer. Let me just be sure. That, that is in the Bible. Kinsman Redeemer. Is that in the Bible? Is that in the Bible? Okay, it's in the Old Testament. That one really, that's 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 the book of Ruth. It came from Ruth. But it's still the same, it's still the same. Um, he is the kinsman redeemer. It said that we have not been given a high priest who is not who has not been touched with our infirmities, who does not know what we go through, who does not understand humanity, who in, who in himself is not human, right? He won't be called a kinsman if he himself was not like us. And we will not be called his brethren if we also didn't have the potential to be exactly as he is. Because when we say in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, right? That word that is being spoken about existed even before the Bible came into manifestation, right? But in the book of Matthew, we see when Jesus Christ was born physically, true or false, I'm asking Nancy. True. So we see when he was born physically, right? Mm-hmm. But yet, even though when we see that he was born physically at so-so time, when he was older, he said to the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. Was he talking about his physical body, which was like 30-something years old? No. No. It was something much older that was speaking. It was not the physical flesh, because the flesh was only so old, right? Just about 30 years. But the thing that was speaking through that flesh was the ancient of days itself. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now that union yeah. between him and that spirit 
was what made him everything that he is. That union. And that's why he kept on emphasizing it. Even before he departed, and I've said it so many times, when Mary Magdalene tried to hold on to him, he was intentional about saying, don't cling on to me, for I am yet to ascend to my father and your father, my God and your God. Letting her know that this same person is also your father. As a matter of fact, when they asked him, how do we pray? The first thing he taught them was to realize that you have a father in heaven. Yes, we all know about your physical father who brought forth your physical form, but you also have a spiritual ancestry, which you are supposed to become mindful of, a father in heaven. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, yeah. the moment, the moment there's a realization of that father in heaven and there's a union and relationship between you and that father, you now start to become an extension of that father upon the earth. And once that happens, Christ is revealed. And that's why this same Jesus Christ said, you go through the scriptures thinking that in them you may find eternal life. But these scriptures testify of me. So that means that Ezekiel testified of Christ. Moses testified of Christ. Abraham testified of Christ. Isaiah testified of Christ. Because they themselves were physical embodiments and manifestations of the same spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you have a further question? Mm -mm. I need to think. I need this one needs to enter first. I'll come okay, back to you. Okay, let it enter. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So Dan asked a very beautiful question. He said, what role did the virgin birth play in all these? Like his conception being different from others. If one spends their time finding the difference between them and Jesus, then we'll miss the point. Because the whole point of what he came to do is to show you the similarity between you and him. Now, we've all read about the virgin birth, the virgin birth, the virgin birth. But how many have actually paused to understand the inner significance of that virgin birth and what it means to us? The book of John chapter 1 talks about it, but in, in a mysterious way. Very passively, he talked about it, but one has to really look closely to see it. When he talked about the virgin birth, let me find it. Let me find it. Let me find it. Mm -hmm. So it's book of John chapter 1, verses 10. No, verses, verses 12 and 13. 